Baby seated. Quickly, I'll go rather quickly. Amen. Are we ready? Amen. Thank God for that great exhortation. Uh, you will come back and give us the, the remainder. This was down payment. I know young people are not going anywhere. Amen. Praise the Lord. Young people, you have your Bibles because we are going to plow through Bible passages. Amen. We're going to plow through. And those ones, those little ones, you begin to plow through the Bible now before you go to college. I have to see it personally that you can plow through the Bible. Amen. When you go to college, you're going with Bibles. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are we ready? Amen. The word of his grace. The word of what? His grace. Volume 5. Amen. Understand, receive, and experience God's word as the reservoir of his grace. Message number 4. God's purposes and spiritual significance. God's purposes and spiritual significance for divine prescriptions. By now, you know what divine prescriptions are. They are, the divine prescriptions consist of God's principles, God's commands, and God's what? Instructions. They are a part of the forms in which biblical truth comes to us. That is a third form in which what? Biblical truth comes to us. I, I like the expression biblical truth. Amen? There are a lot of truths on earth, but the truth that count perfect, that's superior, that cannot be changed. Did Jesus say heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one title, one, not one aorta of my word shall pass until they are fulfilled. He's talking about biblical principles. So there are many truths on earth, but only one can stand eternally. Every other truth, quote, must bow to that. And it's called biblical what? Truths. And the teaching ministry is meant to bring out what? Primarily what? Biblical truths. And I tell you this, of all the things Satan hates, biblical truths are number one on the list. <laughs> are you all following I'm about to share with you biblical truths. Okay? I say, of all the things Satan hates, biblical truths rank the highest on the list. Because they are a sword against him. The Bible calls biblical truths the sword of the spirit. Are you all following? Okay. Biblical truths are realities. They are spiritual or divine Realities. They are realities. That means they are real things. Sometimes you may not see them physically, but they are real. More real than things you see physically. All right. So these divine prescriptions consisting of divine principles, divine commands, divine instructions are biblical truths. Did you notice the passage we read this morning when Pastor Kereke came up, right? What did you notice in that passage? What is it filled with? Commands and instructions. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> That's all. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's the least part of biblical truth you hear in churches today. That's the least believers go for in their Bibles. Because it tells them what to do. And the things it tells believers to do are contrary to what believers want to do. So there's going to be a problem. So if you give a believer a Bible, it skips them. If you give a pastor opportunity to preach, it flies over them. And the devil hates to hear them. I'm just telling you how people cringe, how things cringe in the spirit realm when we come to divine prescriptions. That's where friends of the Lord start leaving him. He gave them a command. He gave them an instruction. He said, unless you drink my blood, 
Oh my goodness. If all he told them is that the kingdom will be restored to Israel, they will have been following him. <laughs> Are you all listening? If he kept telling them Israel is the prime of nations, your God loves you, they will be following him. And they did. If all he did was to give them provisions, because they followed him, he multiplied bread, he gave them wine, they drank. And they loved him. But the moment he said, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. Instruction. The Bible says his disciples left him. So that's why I'm going to, I'm here. I'm on that point. And I tell you, that's where you have the best blessing. It's in divine prescriptions. Praise the Lord. When we are sick physically, we go to the doctor. What do we get, get take away from the doctor? That's all. One of my daughters here called me over the week. She lives in Manhattan, in Harlem. She said, Apostle, you know, I wanted to come and do this and do that, but I'm going to Harlem to pick my prescription. That's how important it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Would that cost gasoline? Would that cost time? Coming back was traffic, serious traffic. But she had to go because it was what? Physical prescription. Whatever stops you, pick your divine prescription. That's what brings the Christ in us out. Am I making a sense here? So, divine prescriptions are a third part of biblical truths that we are revealed in the Bible. And they are the third part of package of grace in the Bible. What's the first? First package or set of biblical truths in the Bible? Prophecies and promises. Second, accomplished facts, which includes our word, present word, provisions. Huh? The third part, divine prescription. They don't tell us anything that will happen. They don't tell us what has happened. They don't tell us what God had done or what God will do. They tell us what we have to and need, what we need to and have to do to get what God has offered us now and to keep us in line for what God has for us in future. Did you get that? Okay. So would you like it if I go more, huh? And it comprise of principles, commands, and what? Instructions. And we have looked at every one of those. My purpose is that if you see them in the Bible, you'll be able to recognize them and they respond accordingly. If you see prophecy and promise in the Bible, you should be able to recognize them and respond accordingly. If you see accomplished facts in the Bible, which you should every day, you should be able to respond to them and act what? Accordingly. If you see divine prescriptions in the Bible. You ought to say, here's what God is saying to me. You should be able to respond and act accordingly. Each of them has its grace. It has in stock for you. But the thing about divine prescription is that when you respond to it, it triggers the grace that you have for the first two. Are you all following what I'm saying? And what we are looking at now are their purposes. Why did God leave his principles, command and instructions in the Bible for us? What is the goal that God had in mind? Am I making sense here? And what is the significance of those instructions? What's the bottom line of those instructions? What is their mean, meaning? What's the implication of having them in the Bible? Why will you go to church and somebody is telling you, giving you an instruction. Why should God give you instruction on what to do after he created you? Shouldn't he have allowed you to move around and do what you like? Why would the man of God come up this morning and say we shouldn't serve God with levity because that's divine instruction based on divine principles. When he says we shouldn't serve God with leftover, it's a divine principle. 
It comes to the principle of tithing. Because God doesn't want just 10%. He wants the first 10%. Okay? When he said, don't serve God as you wish. It's a divine principle that covers that. <laughs> so, what's he trying to say? What's the meaning of this thing he's saying? Let's look at the meaning of divine prescriptions, of divine instructions, of divine command, of divine uh, principles. What is the what does God had in, have in, has in have as a goal, and what are the implications of those? Number one, we said was what those things represent the terms of God's what covenant with His people. When you are responding to divine instructions and principles and commands, you are walking in line with the terms of God's covenant. Is that clear? Huh? That that's the only practical way that you can say that you're walking in covenant with God. Jesus says, if you love me, covenant love, you must do what? Obey my instruction. He said, my what? Sheep. Let me tell you, the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd is a covenant relationship. How, how do I know? It says the true shepherd does what? Lays down his life. What's that? Begins with an S. Sacrifice. Whenever you see sacrifice, what's the result of sacrifice? Covenant. Say, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is not a hireling. A hireling is a, hara, a hired uh, uh, a shepherd. He sees the lion coming. He leaves the sheep and runs away for his life. But the covenant shepherd lays down his life. Because of that, he said, my sheep, my covenant sheep, does what? He has my voice. Where is his voice in? In the instructions, in the commands, in the principles. And they do what? They follow me. You cannot follow the Lord without knowing and walking in his principles, in his commands, in his instructions. You can sound as, as religious as you want to sound by telling me, I follow the Holy Spirit. How do you follow the Holy Spirit? By listening to the instructions of the word of God. There's no other way. You can't follow the Holy Spirit by dream. Otherwise, you'll be lost in a sea. Every time you dream, you say, my, my dream happens. Every time I dream, it happens. Those are secondary. These, those are signposts. No, you didn't understand. There's a difference between a car and a signpost on the road. Did you understand? Dreams and the Lord ministered to me, to my heart. Those are signposts. The real car and the real match is the steps you take by obeying the word of God. So don't get lost on the signpost. Otherwise, you know what happened with signposts? If you know a place by signpost, five years, there are people who relocate to New York. Seven, ten years after they visit, they don't know anywhere. You'll be carrying them. Thank God for Uber. A lot of them will be lost. Some of you, if you go back to where you were born, if you've been in America for 20 years, you've not been going frequently, people will be taking you by hand. Because you have relied on signposts. Have you noticed that the word of God never changes? Because, oh, come on. That's the map itself. If you know a place by McDonald's store, five years' time, you return to that place, they have Burger King. You are lost. Burger King has bought it over. You are what? Lost. Next 15 years is Wendy's. Brother Chima, how did you know Wendy's? But you get what I'm saying. Number two, what's the second goal and, um, and the significance? They represent the voice of the Lord. You cannot claim to hear the voice of the Lord when you don't see God's principle and comply with them. When you don't listen to his instruction and comply with them. When you don't listen to his commands. Don't tell me you're hearing the voice of the Spirit because God does not contradict himself. He, the Spirit, is the author of the word. Number three. 
Yeah. The divine principles consisting of the commands, instructions, and what? Yeah, yeah, the divine wisdom coming to that. Divine principles consisting on what? Divine uh, principles, divine commands, divine instructions. They constitute the revelation of the wisdom of God. That's the revelation of the wisdom of God. And it's called wisdom that comes from above. You know why? Because there are other forms of competing wisdom. Natural wisdom. Did we see it last week? James showed us that at least two other forms of wisdom compete with Natural wisdom said that guy is smart from the mother's womb. If it's not divine, it may be from the mother's womb. But it's not smart. It's not of God. Natural wisdom can be used in a godly way. Are you listening to me? Huh? And that from that natural wisdom, you have scientific wisdom. Look at the things we have today. Apple phones and so on and so forth. Right? But also, the enemy can turn it around and it can be used in an ungodly way. Look at the internet. That's scientific wisdom. It blesses both God's people and the evil generation. Is that true? And but beneath that, there's a, a wisdom known as what? Demonic wisdom. Satanic wisdom. Trust me, there is. And no matter how much of a believer you are, when you depart from divine wisdom, that's the third and the highest wisdom, known as wisdom from above. When you divine from that, you can end up, don't think you hover around natural wisdom. You drop to natural wisdom, but you go down to demonic wisdom. Some of God's people in the Bible practice demonic wisdom. I mean, God's people. Was Cain a child of God? You better believe it. He was born in the house of God. The parents were the first parents God ever knew and dealt with. Are you following? He was raised in a godly home, but he killed his brother. You know, there was a wisdom involved in killing his brother. Every time we go for offering, his offering is accepted. So let me eliminate him. Let me see if he'll offer again. Can a Christian operate like that today? Yes. Why? If he departs from what? The instructions, the principles of the word of God. For instance, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. From Cain's time, through Moses' time, till now, it still remains that way. Am I right? There are, did Abraham at the time try a wisdom that was not of God? Many times. Yet he was a man of faith. When they wanted to take his wife, oh, first and foremost, God told him to move. He moved, he obeyed the word of God. When he got there, the economy wasn't good. And there were other dwellers on the land. He said, listen, I better go down to Egypt because the economy was good. That was natural wisdom. And God didn't like that. Are you all following what I'm saying? Where did God, was it a prophecy or instruction? Clear-cut instruction. Go down to where? Canaan. He got there, the Bible said the Canaanites were there. And the economy wasn't good. And by the way, he started the problem with the natural wisdom of taking his brother along, his nephew along. I don't know if you're getting me. And when he got there, the economy was bad. He went further south because the economy was good. Wasn't that good economic wisdom? He could sell any portfolio to anybody. Set up your portfolio for you. Package your financial future. Because if you go to Canaan and the economy was good and Canaanite was there, you go down to Egypt. Egypt's economy was boiled. But that's not godly wisdom. That wasn't what God wanted. Am I speaking to someone? Huh? All right. Amen. A lot of people think unless you run off with somebody's wife, every other thing you're doing is right. It wasn't right. God said, go back. He went back. And when he was in Egypt, and that's the problem, when you get out of God's will, other things will happen, you keep getting out of God's will. They took his wife. Before they took his wife, he plotted his wisdom. If they ask me, is that your wife? Say, no, they may kill me. It's my sister. Things keep going. Down. And the more of those wisdom you do, the more problem you create for other people. When God saw that, he called a guy, the Egyptian king, he said, who is that woman in your house? The man said, ah, glad you asked. 
Say, before I open my eyes, return the woman. It's the wife of my servant. Before the man returned it, plague came on his house. Because of the wisdom of a man of God, who veered from godly wisdom and God. We, the Bible was filled of those people. People like Judas, the clear demonic wisdom. Am I making a sense here? So don't tell me that as long as you're a child of God, you cannot do such. You don't even know yourself. If you veer off from the instruction of God, you can do anything. And the problem is that when you start doing, you have to cover your back. And so you keep doing. No, praise the Lord. Amen. So that's wisdom. Any wisdom that comes from the instruction of the word of God is heavenly wisdom. It's wisdom from above. It's godly wisdom. And you do anything that's not in line with God's instructions and command and principles, no matter how smart it looks like. Do you know that smart people end up in jail? Look at them. Phone call they are making is keeping them in jail now. They are going one by one. And you know what? The topmost echelon of the government was putting them in jail. Hi, you know what? Can we do this? Here's how we're going to do it. After it's time before the judge swear. At that time, your wisdom dries up. <laughs> Hello? Let's do this so we do him in. So we win election. And now they're abandoning ship. Can that happen to a Christian? Yes. So, what did you have on your note? It reveals divine wisdom. Number five now. Is that correct? Or number four? Divine prescriptions reveal you got to like this. You're going to like this. They reveal and offer us opportunity for divine righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> for divine what? Righteousness. If you want to live and walk in the righteousness of God, you have to be acquainted and yield yourself to live in accordance to divine principles, divine instructions, and divine command. You know, if you listen to the church and the preachers today, you would think that God is not interested in us living and walking in righteousness. And it's so much understanding of the grace of God. Have you noticed that the first three things we discussed already, in each of them there's a grace of God. Is that correct? Huh? Why would God want you to stay under his covenant? Is that not grace? To put you under his covenant. You have a covenant with him. By yourself you cannot keep it. He shows you his word. So do you see grace there? Huh? What was the second one? It reveals the what? Second goal. The voice of the Lord. Isn't that grace? That the God of heaven and earth will not say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have gone. So I'm going. He leaves his voice in the word. For generations to come. Is that not grace? The third one was what? Divine wisdom. Listen, that you are human and all you can afford for yourself is natural wisdom and demonic wisdom. But the God of heaven says, no, I have my wisdom for you. you can. Is that not grace? And the fourth one we are talking about is righteousness. So people give an impression that if you're a Christian, you can do anything. Because according to them, once saved, always saved. So you can go about, I have a preacher, you know the preacher. There's a preacher on TV who tells people, you don't even need to confess your sins. He says, if you do so, you're insulting Jesus. And so I wonder how people under his congregation will be there. They will do anything. I told you this story. I read in a book somewhere. A, past, a pastor took a young Christian. They went out to win souls, and they got this woman. The woman gave his life to Christ. They paid, prayed a sinner's prayer. That pastor right there telling me, you know what? You're so saved that you can go out and kill somebody. You go to heaven. The young convert was shocked to his bones. You know what? If I was there, I would tell the pastor, thou shalt not kill remains a divine principle. Am I right? 
Don't tell me it's law of Moses. It wasn't. If thou shalt not kill was a law, uh, came out of the law of Moses. Cain, are you hearing me? Cain. God wouldn't be angry with Cain. And that's one thing that I will teach you at the end of the day. Because a lot of people could be out there and say, wow, this is law of Moses. No, no, it's not. That shall not keep began before Moses was born. If mother came out of the law of Moses, God could not have asked Cain, where is your brother? Did you notice? And what did Cain say? I'm not my brother's keeper. God should have known that. And when Jesus came, let me tell you, he didn't water it down. He ratcheted it. Under Jesus, under grace, you don't have to use machete to kiss someone. Are you aware of it? He said, if you call your brother empty head, raka, you've killed him. Jesus actually elevated those things. Don't just leave any hand and say, under grace. At that time, you're living above grace. Praise God. So, righteousness, I just want to give you a cut and nail definition at this time. Simply means the justfulness or the rightfulness of the person of God and his ways of doing things. That's the quickest way I can define righteousness now. It's the justfulness, are you following? Or the what? Rightfulness. Of the person of God. And why the person of God? Because of his what? His ways, listen to me, of what? Doing things. Listen, uh, righteousness, another word for it is justification. And it's different from holiness. Righteousness and holiness are not the same thing. Holiness means the sacredness of God. Holiness means the difference of God from other gods and from man. And the holiness of God's people is that uniqueness and their difference from other people and the apartness from everything around them that is not of God. That's holiness. Righteousness means the fact that the person is right and the way he does things is what? Right and just. So, righteousness is revealed in the Bible in at least three forms. Let me show you how righteousness is revealed. Amen? Mm -hmm. Number one is in the person of God. Hallelujah. Number one, righteousness is revealed where? Primarily where? In the person of who? God. The Bible calls him Jehovah Sikeno. Adonai Shikeno, meaning the Lord, our righteousness. Are you following? That's the first revelation of righteousness. When you see God, you see righteousness. When his son came, his son became righteousness in human form. First Corinthians chapter 30. I believe, no, First Corinthians chapter 1, quickly, let's see. The first revelation of righteousness is that, that of righteousness as a person. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 1, give me verse 30, verse 31, if I'm on the right. Yeah, so, sorry, Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. Let me show you the first level of revelation of righteousness in the Bible. Amen? Remember, what we are, we are dealing with here is that divine prescriptions give us opportunity for what? Practical righteousness. Divine revelation offer unto us what? A revelation and the grace of what? Practical what? Righteousness. Okay. Give me verse. Is that second Corinthians? Second. 
chapter 1. Is it, is it first? Please, it's first Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse, verse 30 and 31. And I'll read it to you. I want you to know. So the first level of revelation of God's righteousness is in his person, which came to fullness in his son. But by his doing, by the Father's doing, you are, amen, in Christ, who became to us from wisdom from God. Did you notice that? Wisdom is a person too. And righteousness. Righteousness is a person. And what? Sanctification. Amen? And what? That's holiness there. See, righteousness and holiness are different. Sanctification means holiness. All right. And what? That one? And redemption. So that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Why? Because Jesus became the full manifestation of God's righteousness on earth. But that's righteousness revealed as a person. So Jesus is the righteousness of God. If you want to see the righteousness of God, the first thing you have to look at is Jesus. But you didn't notice that Jesus had a way of doing things when he was on earth. Did you notice that? And can I tell you something? Check the New Testament. Jesus never did anything based on how he wanted it. <laughs> Not one. If anybody quoted the principles of God or his instructions, as a reason for doing things the way he did it. Number one is Jesus. That's the one who will tell you, for it, I'm doing this, for it is written. What is he telling to you? I'm not doing it based on the way I feel, but based on the, word, the way the word of God said it. Are you following? Even at the temptation, he didn't act based on who he was. He acted based on what the word of God said. And that's the one man on earth who lived on the practical righteousness of God from day to day. But that's revelation number one, level number one. Level number two, another way righteousness was revealed in the Bible for us. Amen? Praise the Lord. And this is not a teaching on righteousness. I'm just uh, trying to show us. Amen? Uh, uh, how the principles of the word of God will bring us to practical righteousness. Praise the Lord. So another way uh, from in which it was revealed is, hallelujah, is in the form of God's word. Amen? Amen. God's word, actually, before we go to God's word, the second way I want to show you is in us. God's righteousness has been what? Revealed where? In us. Because when Jesus died on the cross, and he took our sins away, he gave something to us in exchange. The thing for which he gave us in exchange, when he took our sins away, is righteousness. So Jesus took the righteousness of God, which only him had access to. And came to us, went to the cross, took our sin away, and imparted upon us the righteousness of God. And that, he sealed it by the resurrection. Listen to me. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave was the final certification that everyone who believes in him has been made righteous. I will show you two scriptures and we go. Second Corinthians 5, quickly. Second Corinthians 5. 21, 5.21, hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.21, amen. Are you all following? All right. You know, the problem is that there's a hiccup in the body of Christ about righteousness and about grace. Can you give it to me? Okay, verse 21, quickly. Listen to this. Paul was writing, he said, God, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no what? Sin. Notice in the singular form. To be what? Sin. On what? Our behalf. So that we might become what? The righteousness of who? God. Where? In him. So there was an exchange. Jesus took our sin and imparted upon us the righteousness of God. So do we have to bother about righteousness again? 
Most preachers say, no, that's it. It's not true. <laughs> I understand that clearly. And that's the, one of the most amazing miracles. But you, know, you have to know how to handle it. To bring it to the full use for which God made it. Before Paul came to this realization, he had a righteousness that came from the law. But when he saw this, he said that that righteousness is like what? Filthy rags before God. Praise God. Am I speaking to someone here? Amen. Hmm. That we might be made righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 4, quickly. That was what happened on the cross. But let's see what happened at his resurrection. At his resurrection, quickly. Let's go quickly. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. He said, here's what he said. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Am I making sense to you? I have not gotten to the practical righteousness. Now, okay, before we get there, let me say something to you. This, the righteousness I'm talking about now is imputed or what? Imported. What? Righteousness. You know, you can have wealth just because your father is wealthy. Is that true? And in the will, he signed off the wealth to you. But you know, after getting all of that, you can still be poor. Because that was imputed wealth. You can be poor if you don't even know it's there. You can be poor, poor if you don't know how to use it. And you can be poor like a, not a church rat. Church doesn't have right anymore. You can be poor like a subway rat. Or whatever rat. There's a rabbit. <laughs> Are you all following? If, if you squander it. Friends, we have been squandering God's righteousness. Did you hear me? We have been what? Squandering God's righteousness. And we are running low on righteousness. You don't know that? Don't feel guilty. I'm not going to feel guilty, but we need to shape up. That's all we need to do. We need to what? Shape up. He, Jesus, was delivered over because of our what? Transgressions. Individual sins, right? And was raised because of our what? Justification. What does it mean? When he was raised from the grave, the word justification is righteousness. Another word for righteousness. Justification is the legal slant of the word. Righteousness is the religious slant of it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Jesus was raised as a signpost. As a signpost that all that believe are now righteous. But you can't just say, hey, I'm righteous, and then you go about doing whatever you like. I said that form of righteousness is what? Imputed divine righteousness. But God went further, a third level, and took instructions, principles, listen to me, and commands, amen, and put in the Bible, this was after we received the imparted righteousness. He put those there. Why? So that we will find an opportunity to practicalize the righteousness that he has put inside of us. Am I making sense? Is that clear now? Amen. So, child of God, you are righteous for believing in Jesus. And because you're righteous, not, this, not because you're not righteous, because you're righteous, God has expectations of you to do what? Walk out the righteousness. So, how are we going to walk out the righteousness? They, and that one we call it what? Practical righteousness. How are we going to do it? By the divine principles. By the divine instructions. By the divine commands. As you obey, you demonstrate the righteousness. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know what everybody's thinking, but is that what takes us to heaven? No. Amen? You have to believe before you can get to heaven. Huh? But if you don't walk in that righteousness, you, not the Lord and not the devil, you can keep yourself from heaven. Because he says he's not going to take anything that is blemished. That's why scriptures like, do not stain your robe are there. 
Are there scriptures like that? If you don't live by the instruction, you'll be staining your robe. You know, have you ever been on your job and they painted the walls? Huh? They put a sticker there. What did they tell you? Wet paint. If they had time to give other instructions, which they do in some places, avoid the walls. Don't lean on the wall. And then you come with the best clothes in town. And you see that? Huh? White paint. And you are not observant of it. When you come out, you won't have the same color of blouse. I think only blouse can do that. Or shirt. Are you all following what I'm saying? Those who work in the operating room. And I did that years ago. They called him. I did that as registered nurse. There's time you have to scrub. And they have other people who do that call them scrub techs. When you scrub and wear that what? Sterile gown. You wear st everything is sterile. Everything is sterile. Are you listening to me? The moment you are there You're set apart from the rest of the people and from the rest of the equipment and instrument in that room. You stay like this. Even a fly comes here, you can't touch it with those hands. See, I have my hands. And you know what? Flies know when you scrub. The devil knows when you're about to take righteousness seriously. He'll be patching all over you. If by chance you touch anything on sterile, you don't need anybody to catch you, you will declare. I touch this. Nothing moves on you out until that is changed. That's a picture. But the point is this. Yes. So God revealed it in the word. Are you ready? Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Let's see how the word reveals the righteousness of God. Romans 1. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Romans 1, 16 to 17, quickly. Romans 1, 16 to 17. Now, this is the word. Is that correct? The first one was what? He revealed it where? In himself. Is that correct? And manifested it through Jesus Christ. The second one, he revealed it where? In the believer. We saw it. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Actually, there, there was one scripture I forgot there in the believer. Isaiah 61, quickly, quickly. Let's go quickly. They're giving me signs over there. Isaiah 61. Are you all watching? All right. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Verse 10. Amen. Verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has what? Clothed me with what? garments of salvation. He has what? Wrapped me with a what? A robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom. Our wedding gown is a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself for the man with a garland and as a bride adorned herself with her jewels. That's how God beautified us in the spirit with a robe of righteousness. Are you following? That's imputed righteousness. But that's, we cannot go about because of that, actually, that limits us on how we behave. It doesn't give us the liberty to do anything, everything. The third one, the third revelation is the word. I said Romans 1, 16 to 17. Is that correct? All right. Quickly, Romans 1, 16 to 17. What does it say? Amen? 16 to 17. 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the word of God. For it is the power of God for what? Salvation to who? Everyone who does what? Who believes? To the Jew first. And also to the what? The Greek or Gentiles. Why? Next verse. For in it, in what? The word. The gospel. The what? The righteousness of God is what? Revealed from what? Faith to faith. Did you notice the place of faith there? Huh? You re receive it from levels of faith to faith. Amen? If you have to receive something by faith, what is that thing? One word for it. It begins with G. 
grace, period. That's the math of the Bible. And that's why I pause to show you these things so that you get them and put them under your belt. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by what? Faith. You see that? How a righteous man, the man who has received impartation of righteousness has to live by faith in the instructions and the word of God. Is that clear? Don't let anybody give you false comfort that as a believer, you can be angry all the time, anytime you like. That's why the Bible says, be angry and do what? Sin not. And I'm going to show you why he said that. It's in line with this. Praise God. So let's look at practical righteousness. How many levels have we looked at? Three levels. So now the demand on us, yes, we have been made righteous. Amen? Is that true? And don't let anybody take that one away from you if you're born again. But you must demonstrate the righteousness with which you are being made in practical terms. Not as unto the law, under the law, but as under grace. Listen to what, what uh, the Bible says here. Have you noticed that Jesus spent a long time on the mount and teach them the Beatitudes? Remember? Have you noticed that much of what he said there was instructions and commands? Is that correct? Praise the Lord. In one of them, here is what, how he ended it in, in, in one of those passages. Are you ready? Here's how he ended it. He said in, I believe, I, I actually, be, uh, before I come to that, l- let me go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Quickly. Amen. I'll read Philippians 2 quickly. Are you there? Go to verse 12. Go to verse 12 of Philippians 2. So then, my beloved, but as you have always done what? Obeyed. What are they expected to obey? Divine instructions, principles, and commands. Amen. Amen. So God expects us to do what? Obey. Why? Practical righteousness. Amen. Not as in my word, presence only. Amen. But also, that would be eye service. I, I forgot what uh, Reverend Cricket called it this morning. Faith. Okay. <laughs> faith fully. Amen. Amen. Not in my face, in my presence only, but now much more in my word, absence. Do what? Walk out your words. Your salvation, part of that salvation is the great of grace of righteousness. Walk out. Why? Watch. For it is God who is at work. Where? In you. He imparted righteousness in you. Christ in you. He's at work. But you, what is he expecting you to do? To walk it where? Out. God walks where? In. And you do what? You walk where? Out. But will and to do, and to walk for his good pleasure. Where did he express his good pleasure? The instructions. The command. Am I making sense to anybody here? Huh? Next verse. Let's see if he can offer us much. Next verse. Do all things without what? Grumbling or what? Disputing. Because he wants to put you on the path of righteousness. Notice the part of God what you do is not prophecy. It's not accomplished facts. It's what? Instructions. It's what? Commands. It's what? Principles. Do all things. Do all things. That doesn't mean going out to stop traffic and say nobody's driving in front of our church. That would be all things. But he's talking about biblical instructions. Are you all following what I'm saying? Okay. 15. So that you will prove yourself to be what? Oh, no. You didn't get that. It wasn't in your Bible. I'm sorry. Who will prove yourself? If you say you're righteous, show us. That's what the Bible is saying there. If you say you have become the righteousness of God in Christ, that's prayer point. Thank you, Jesus, for making me the righteousness of Christ. When we say amen and you step out, show it. Wake up, everybody who's sleeping. I, like, I know you like to sleep at this point, but not today. Not today. Are you seeing the Bible? So that you will do what? Prove who, not another person, yourself to be what? You know the word blameless is stronger than righteous. 
and what? Innocent. You can bear the name innocent all you want. That's good, but you have to show it. Innocent what? Children of God. Above what? Reproach. In the midst of what? And what? If you don't do all of that, you're mixed up with a crooked and perverse generation. Your light is off. Is there a way you can extend <laughs> by five minutes? Praise the Lord. Perfect generation, among whom you appear as what? Light. In the what? World. That word, world, is another word for darkness. Because that's what came out of the first creation. After the devil polluted it, it became the world. God did not create the world. He created the earth. The world came as a consequence of the fall and the corruption of the earth. The world is a system where Satan rules. And the culture is of the world is unrighteousness. The culture of heaven is what? Righteousness. Come on. How can I explain this? Next verse. Next verse. Let's go. Holding fast. The what? Aha. Do you see the connection? The only way you can live this way that God is pleased with is by holding forth the word. The word. If the word says, thou shalt not divorce. And just for irreconcilable differences, because your neighbor, your, your co-worker did it on the job. Say, you don't know my wife, and you divorced yours. I saw your wife was better. Very nice lady. You divorced her. What's the reason? Irreconcilable differences. Oh, but I'm a believer. I say you cannot accept for immorality. And even if immorality can forgive. You know what? Let me join you and do the irreconcilable difference. With, which judge is yours? I am just telling you the way it has been happening. But when you hold forth the word of God. In fact, you start to, you, you, when you want to marry, you marry right. Because do not be unequally yoked. Or you see people stealing on the job. Say, so where's my own? Where's my own? Where did you get it? Are there many, many remaining? Maybe they will catch you just at that time. You say, but that other person took. I'm not the first one who... But they will ask you, but you call yourself a Christian. Because you did not hold forth. You were looking at other people. Dear Lord. Okay. Holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory. Because I did not run in vain. Nor toil in vain. Paul raised churches where he told people what to do and what not to do. If they did what was contrary to the word of God, he said, I have run in vain. TLC, nobody answered me. Lord, it's Titus 2, quickly. Titus 2, 6. Wow. Titus 2, because of time, I think I may abridge you. Okay, let, let, let's take Titus 2, verse what? 6, quickly. Let's see what it says, quickly. Let's see what it says. Likewise, urge the young men to be what? Sensible. Is that prophecy? Accomplished fact? Instruction. Come on. Hallelujah. I like the Bible. In all things, show yourself to be an what? Example of what? Good deeds. Those who say, oh, you can do anything. No. There are deeds the Bible calls evil. And it can happen in church. Don't let anybody fool you. It's been happening in church. But God's foundation stands what? Sure. In good deeds, in all things, especially be example in good deeds. With what? Purity in what? Doctrine. That's what we are doing now. Amen? You notice that that's the first thing. Dignified. Can we be dignified? Amen? Go ahead. Next verse. Give it to me. Sound in what? Speech, which is beyond what? You can't go to job and say anything you like and come to church. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is Sunday, Monday morning. I'm cursing out everybody. So I'm giving them a piece of my mind. Watch. So that the opponent, we have opponents, will not put, will be put to shame. Did you notice that? Having nothing bad 
to say about us. If after you leave well for God, they say anything bad about you, keep going. Somebody will come and apologize to you later. It has happened. Next, urge bond slaves. You see, it's a command instruction to be subject to their own masters. That's righteousness. In everything, some of the supervisors don't like comply with the job instructions. To be well-pleasing, not what? Argument. No, I wish Paul, if Paul was alive, he would upgrade that line. Because not just being argumentative, there are some Christians who cannot lose any argument. Oh, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. Even when it's clear that they are at fault, they get a lawyer. Next verse, 10, watch. Not pilfering, that's a big English word for stealing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. I'm talking about practical righteousness. Look at verse 11, quickly. For the grace of God, aha, uh-huh, you know we amputate scriptures. Didn't see the connection now. Why are we to live this? You know, you know, grace has been turned upside down. You know, people disobey God today. You know why they do that? And somebody will say, come on. God's grace is sufficient for you. In other words, keep doing what you're doing. But it's the other way around. Have you noticed that? Paul says, shall we continue in sin? That grace shall what? Abide. He say what? God forbid. Greek, perish the thought. New American standard, may it not be so. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation to all men. That's where we stop. Look at the next verse, 12. Instructing us. Ah. Instructing unbelievers. Who are us? I thought it's angels. Believers. To do what? Deny. You know the simple English word for that word, deny? Reject. Reject what? Ungodliness. And what? Worldly desires. Listen to the next slide. To live what? Sensibly. Listen to me. Not imputed righteousness now, but practical righteousness. To live how? Sensibly and how? righteously and how godly where in heaven no in this present age it is a countercultural fight the culture of heaven is righteousness the culture of the world is unrighteousness you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world there is a war between righteousness and right sometimes it will percolate down to your home Dear Lord, live righteously. A lot of people are keeping their righteousness in heaven. They will show God how to be righteous. Hey, God, I've shown up. Heaven is fine. Nobody's going to exercise righteousness in heaven. You'll be consumed by righteousness in heaven. You think in heaven I will stand up and start teaching? No. I don't even have a pulpit. This is the last pulpit. Go study the book of Revelation. And when we see the 24 angels and the elders prostrating, we'll, we'll be, anybody having teaching ministry is here. Am I speaking to someone? 13, quickly. Let's go to 13. Quickly. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Come on, let's go. Let's go. 14, 14, 14, 14. Who gave himself for us to do what? Redeem us from every what? Lawless deed. That's one word for that is unrighteousness. You have been redeemed from unrighteousness. So why are you going to continue to live in unrighteousness? That makes mockery of redemption. We are not perfect. If you come in contact with this, you turn around. Don't go home with condemnation. And to do what? Purify us for himself. A people for his own possession. Listen to this. Zealous for which kind of works? any kind of works? No. Good works. Let me say, I think I maybe have time for one more scripture and I'll finish up next Sunday. Alright. We'll put this in next Sunday. Here's the one I will leave with you here. You notice that Paul said I have been crucified with Christ. Huh? Nevertheless, I do what? I live. Yet, not I. Because if I is me living, I'll continue in unrighteousness. But I live by the what? 
faith. When faith comes in, what are you expecting? Grace. <laughs> I live by the faith, and not by faith. By the faith of who? The Son of God, who loved me and died for me. That's the faith of Jesus, but it's available to us. And when we receive him and live in him, we walk in righteousness. I told you this story, an old little woman in London, years ago. Every member of our congregation knew that this woman was right. Some congregants prayed and interceded to be like her. They couldn't succeed. They went to her one day. Said to her sister, so-and-so, you amazed us. You have amazed us with your righteous living. What's the secret? It says Jesus. They say, what do you mean? He said, when Satan knocks, I let the Lord answer. Praise the Lord. How does he let the Lord answer? He finds out what the Lord has said in his word and said, that's the answer for you, Satan. Do you know that's what the Lord himself did when Satan tempted him? He never gave an opinion of himself. When Satan said, if you are the son of mine, you will have slapped Satan. Say, I'm the first son. I'm not just the son. I'm the first son and I have many brethren. I'm the head of the household. No, he didn't. He said, Satan, it is written. He's letting the Holy Spirit answer. Before I get you next Sunday, and I know you're coming back. Are you coming back? Huh? Okay. All right. Let me give you one clue. One of the ways the devil will get you to move out of righteousness and do your thing. Is anger. I'm giving you one practical way. It's what? Anger. And some people will aggravate you and you know you're right. Hey, that's your license of slapping their head off. That day, hey, me, you've been doing this. Before the sun goes down today, I will deal with you. Now you know why the Bible said, be angry. And sin not. I will tell you why. And then another place say, do not let the sun go down in your anger. He's trying to keep you from unrighteousness. Have you considered the death of Moses? Moses was the meekest man. But he died in circumstances of anger. The Bible said Moses spoke unadvisedly. Because of the anger, he didn't get the instruction very well. First time God said, strike the rock. Is that correct? No anger around. So he followed instruction and struck it. Second time the people angered him, God spoke. He didn't hear God. What did God say the second time? Speak to the rock. He assumed he had known how to handle folks, stubborn folks. They had been with him for about 39 years as at that time. So he had studied them. Anger can blind you. He has blinded me many times. So what does Brother James tell us? James chapter 1. That's one practical way you're going to go home with. James chapter 1. Stand up, everybody. Uh, we, we'll pray after we read that. Stand up. Thank you for your time. I will put these scriptures. They are not, the last two scriptures was not in, we are not going to ever put them on Sunday. But let's see this. Verse 20, I believe. Verse 20. Verse 20. Are you understanding the relationship of righteousness on every level? Amen? The, the one I'm emphasizing today is practical righteousness. He has one key to practical righteousness. For the anger of man, next time we see what comes before and after, does not what? Achieve or work out the what? Righteousness of God. What does it mean? Let me explain it to you. Whenever you're angry about anybody or about anything, don't take a decision. Don't act. Are you all hearing me? Deal with the anger first. Let me tell you, we are human. This whole circumstance can give you a picture that you're right. But many times you're not right because you didn't have all the information. Are you following? Many times you're not right. But suppose you were right, you had all the information. Are you hearing me? And you were supposed to be angry. God didn't say don't be angry. He said, but don't let the sun go down on it. Meaning deal with it as early as possible. Because you have occasion to make decisions about the issue. You have occasion to interact with the person. You will meet the person next, next Sunday, maybe two, five. 
Mesimo or Costco. I had come in with you today. See how I am. How are you? You may regret it after. Is anybody listening? Okay. Say, but be angry and what? Sin not. Meaning, if you're angry, it's okay. I can understand. But try not to act with the anger because you will sin. And that would not be righteousness. But I still, I, if you didn't get it, look at that verse. For the anger of man. And next week we, we see the situation before and after. For, but this is a principle. For the anger of man does not what? Achieve or work out the what? The righteousness of God. What does God expect you to work out in every situation? Not the way you feel. Not the way you like. But the way he wants. Is that correct? Good. So I'm, I'm just showing it to every one of my brothers and sisters here. That scripture has kept me for years. And I want to share it with you. Close your eyes. 